The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. This is the Anime Roundtable Canada presented by Anime North. You can contact us via email animeroundtable at gmail.com, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Anime Roundtable, and on the web, animeroundtable.com. Well, this is a hell of a way to start episode 83. It's still going to be an episode, Mike. I don't well, know. We're still we'll call, well, we, we, we kind of have to force it. It's been a few months. Well, officially, we taped episode 82 as part of Anime North. That was at the end of May. It's been three months since we've done an official episode we've taped a few other things and well really not much just two space heater chats and none of them featured you james that so, is true now well the the thing is and, and as i said this is a hell of a way to start because we we, we tried to plan this over the last couple days and but we also knew things would be up in the air we all had our other you know, we had all had our lives to live for over the last little while. But basically, last minute, uh, Mo had to bail. He came on briefly, actually, in here in our uh, in our little StreamYard studio and has to see to some, some personal business. Evan's out right now, seeing to some personal business. Amy, seeing to some personal business. So that just leaves me and you, James. Uh, I guess it's just been uh, a busy summer, as they say, right? Well, yeah, yeah, it has been, because it's the first time we've had you on in three and a half some odd months. How, how the hell are you doing? All right. I guess I was just a hard person to track down, as they say. But we did happen to see each other at, funny enough, an anime event, uh, not this weekend, but last weekend. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that a bit later on. And might as well go in chronological order almost, right? Well, yeah, it's been a long, long summer, so... I can give you some thoughts of what I've seen as I've yeah, been okay. uh, let's, trudging along. Let's go, let's, let's go with that until... Uh, Kevin said he'll, he'll join us a bit later, and, and all three of us did go to Anime Toronto. That's the event we're talking about. That so, used to be IFF Toronto and stuff like that. Yeah, and we, there's a bunch of stories there. We will tell our stories about uh, having gone there. Uh, although I know, um, I know James and Kevin were there a lot more than I was this w- over that weekend. But let's. Actually, it was funny too when we were there on uh, the last day. I thought they were doing um, a Guns N' Roses concert at Bud Stage, but I guess they were doing it nearby. It was Rogers. 
It must it have been Rogers. Rogers. Yeah, yeah, I looked it up. It was Rogers Center, and yeah, and that it made me think. So, is GNR still together under the name for you know? I mean, their lead singer Axel Rose and whoever he got together, or because I always wonder about that. Because remember, that. they broke up so many times, right? Yeah, and I don't think Slash is associated with the the current. I don't think he. Yeah, I don't think he's in Roses now, and I think it. Then I I figure that's a messy story. I'd have to look that one up. Let's just say there was a lot of Guns N' Roses being played uh, on the Sunday afternoon of that anime event. I'm sure that would have been something for the guests to see from Japan. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The sea of humanity and Guns N' Roses paraphernalia and just everyone, you know, I mean, like that buskers out there. It's like anything from the sound system was playing the classics. So That's about right. That's about right. So... How do I put this? As I came down on the Sunday, and I, I and you'll hear this in the report, how I didn't see all of it. Yeah, I saw. I kept seeing a lot of Guns N' Roses T-shirts on the subways. So we'll talk about Actually, that a bit, a bit later. It's funny because we say that, and I think it was no, it was definitely the Saturday. It was the Saturday, and I was coming in on the GO train from uh, the suburbs. And when I went on, there was a Bochi the Rock uh, cosplayer that was getting on to the same stop I was, which was something you rarely see, but it was something kind of made you think. It's like, hmm. Hmm. I mean, I guess you would have expected it during Fan Expo weekend, (laughs) the weekend before, actually. Very much true, but it was interesting to see uh, that they still have people going down for this event, but we'll talk about it later. And uh, there was actually some interesting things I saw as we went from uh, the June, July, and uh, August and stuff like that. And okay. Some things that relate to things we've obviously talked about before. Okay, so what did, like, okay, so we're going to go through convention season through the eyes of James Austin. What's well, that over the uh, over the past three months. Well, some of the things that stuck out, actually one of the ones, funny enough, non-convention wise was, you know, we talked about uh, the death of uh, physical media and stuff like that. And two tweets, funny enough, around the Anime Expo uh, week, Anaplex of America sent two tweets. One tweet was, happy 10th anniversary, servant time service our servant X service. And the other one was happy anniversary to, uh, and that was a 10th anniversary because it was released around the same time, Silver Spoon. And both of them had only gotten DVD releases that are way out of print and they're just streaming. And it's just kind of like, well, that's kind of interesting. It's like you're saying uh, this is, uh, you're celebrating these series, but it's, you can only find them streaming and stuff like that. There's no like physical media or anything. And it just kind of gave me a chuckle when I saw those two, and hmm. especially considering they, they're, well, what certain time X service, I would say is more niche. It's like um, a rom-com slice of life. And then the other one, uh, I'm surprised it didn't get Blu-ray Silver Spoon. Remember that's from the same creator as Full Metal Alchemist, except it's about farming and stuff like that. So that was kind of interesting. I think, uh, maybe the subject matter makes the suggestion why we haven't seen anything, any further releases. Yeah. I don't know what to, I don't know what the, how it actually goes. 
And really? the funny thing is, both of them actually have had their manga released by Yen Press, ironically enough. So, that's just a way to put it. But it was interesting seeing that and then seeing, uh, because I keep up with what's releasing physically and all of them are trudging along. But it's interesting looking at Crunchyroll or Funimation or whatever you want to call them now. It seems like one month there's next to nothing and some months there's just a few trickled releases like there was a few trickled releases in november but in october there were only three releases and those three releases were like a love live uh, season um i can't remember if it was overfiend uh, legend of the no not overfiend i forget what they call it but it was another um isekai series that they had had another season of so they released that and then the other one was a walmart exclusive of uh, cowboy bebop in a steelbook releasing that again and it's just like wow it's like they have all these series that they've put up on streaming they've done dubs and all this stuff but it's just even if they get a dub or i guess have a certain thing they're not going to really do it on physical and they're going similar i guess sony just like they're doing in their main business and all those others are doing just like Disney and stuff like that. They just want to keep it on the platform, I guess, to get the eyes there. Hmm. And it was interesting looking at it that way because they talk about that way saying, wow, this is like probably one of the future where you see boutique uh, publishers like Discotech having more releases in a month than a major studio and stuff like that. And even Sentai, which is still relatively small, having a few more releases than a major studio and stuff like that. So but, it's definitely uh, boutique, as we said, to yeah, uh, buy an actual physical disc or own an actual series, I guess. Yeah, boutique is certainly an interesting word to use when we talk about it now. And it, it, it's a little, maybe a little depressing because we, we, we time has borne out the dilemmas of always putting things on digitally. Because, you know, it's one of those, at any second, the carpet can be yanked out from under you type stuff. Or the contract can expire and then uh, they forget that it expired or forgot to renew well, or do something or, or like Something that. like that. I mean, I mean, and, and I guess we would have brought this up in the bullets, but I, let's. this is a perfect time to start bringing it up now. What, almost, was it two, three years after, after it appeared on Crave? And made everybody's day at the time. Has it been three years or two years? Sailor Moon is set to leave Crave, the major streaming service here in Canada, which is basically the de facto HBO streaming service here in uh, in Canada. But it licenses uh, licenses out other stuff as well. And it had Sailor Moon for a few years back. And Jesse, our old friend Jesse Betteridge noted that for everybody when it happened and maybe in a full circle moment he's noted it again now that's about to leave and i think within i think before the end of october or is it before the end of september if anybody remembers and i think we had talked about when i came on and stuff like that and it definitely was a lot of nostalgia for that show from uh, the old ytv days of the 90s and stuff like that in the zone era and it was interesting to see uh, it come back and people have good memories, but I guess uh, you can only keep it up there for so long, especially since 
that type of series, they're probably going to go to where Viz normally goes for showing uh, those type of shows and things like that. So well, it, was, it was rare always to see it on something like Crave or a more mainstream uh, streaming service. Yeah, there's a... That's not Netflix, just to be clear. Yeah, it, what is it? Is it Retro Crush? I forgot. Uh, no, not Retro Crush. I think it's still... Um, I'm not sure where they're showing because I know they did a lot of stuff with Hulu, remember? Viz did a lot of stuff on Hulu. And so okay, that's I why I think they I, I, did get it onto Crave and stuff like that. So I'm not sure where that leaves us in Canada at the moment for the older Sailor Moon stuff. The newer stuff is on Crunchyroll still, I believe. But the older stuff is a question mark. I'd have to double check, look at look around. And I think Retro Crush, but oh, um, I, well, keep in mind, I think it was also set to premiere on... Uh, on Pluto TV, but just as a quasi-linear type thing. Mm-hmm. So there aren't, you know, not the greatest options. But it's a, it's one of those moments. It's one of those bad moments, I guess. Because, like I said, at the time it happened, at the time it showed up on Crave, it it was, you know, good news for a lot of people, right? And I'm sure it'd be a different experience, obviously, for a lot of people, because it wasn't obviously the original way they had watched the dub of Sailor Moon, stuff like that. It wasn't the one done uh, in Toronto and stuff like that. It was the new one that had been produced uh, by Viz and the uncut version that they were showing. So hopefully, uh, maybe that got some other people to look at some other different series and things like that. Yeah. Okay, just for reference, uh, Sailor Moon will stop streaming on Crave on September 17th. Hopefully this episode will be out before September 17th. It first came onto the service almost three years to the day. Uh, the first reports of it were September 19th on uh, 2020. So almost three years to the day. Sailor Moon will come and go from Crave. Okay, sorry, and I tangented it, everybody, and I hear a click. Who's who is coming on now? Oh, Kevin's here. We'll just give a couple seconds here to welcome Kevin into the studio. Kevin, you made it. I'm taking a look uh, now, uh, Mike, and I think it may still be on um, Tubi. Oh, that's it. And stuff like that. Could be that's, uh, that's TV. The and there is Plato TV. There's still Hulu. And I think uh, they have put some on YouTube, it sounds like, but it sounds like it's region blocked to US only. Okay. So, hey, Kevin. We're recording. Yes, we are. You're, all, you're uh, well, not live, but glad you made it. Just mentioned. Uh, uh, you probably got the saw the messages from Mo on the way back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's just the three of us. Cool. Which is fine. Well, we can we can go with that. So well, James, James was just going through. Uh, well, since he hasn't been on in like three months, he's just going through what caught his attention through the convention season. Mm. As we start tonight. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting set of announcements over the past few months. Mm-hmm. Well, let's 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 go through things chronologically, and then I know you'll I know you'll um jump in as as it goes. So, and we just mentioned 
bits about stream about physical media over streaming media and just had to bring up Sailor Moon leaving Crave. Yeah, which, you know, it's a bit of a bummer. I know Jesse mentioned it a little while ago. But, you know, you sign these deals, they last so long, and they chose not to renew it, I guess. That's mm-hmm. really it. Really it? Yeah, okay. No. Talk right. about, uh, as I told you before, Kevin, it's like they had a few more for November, but Funimation, Crunchyroll, whatever you want to call them, had like only three releases in October. So it's funny seeing boutique publishers like Discotech and even Sentai now ahead of the major player in releasing physical media. And that's how we got onto it. And then the other reason I told Mike is it was during the, um, Anapl- sorry, it was during uh, Anime Expo, Anaplex USA had put out two tweets for a 10th anniversary, happy 10th anniversary for Servant uh, X Service and Silver Spoon. And it just, it kind of left you shaking your head because you can't even get those physically anymore. They were DVD only. And now I think they're still streaming on Crunchyroll, but that's about it. It's okay. The, it the makes license you wonder will lapse. The fans are for those now, right? The license will lapse and then we'll just wait for Discotech to pick them up. You know, that's that's kind of how it's going to have to be nowadays. Well, Discotech definitely has a lot on their plate because I know they had a little event at the end of June and then they uh, went to Otakon at the end of July and they had their usual assortment of different uh announcements they had mm-hmm. anime they had live they, action so they, they definitely have a good price screening too of the digimon movies and then that was how they announced those i believe yep otakon <laughs> is where they did uh they said yeah second season of uh digimon is uh coming up for the dub version they'll probably do a subtitle uh, just like they did with the first season and mm-hmm. like they did with sonic and they also said guess what we got the movies and we're going to get back the original cast and dub the rest of the movies, not just the first one. So that's a nice surprise for a lot of people. That's an interesting piece of news, actually, to get back the English cast. Anytime Digimon fans came through. Yeah. Well, it's, it's always interesting whenever, whenever discotech commits to doing an English dub, that's always news because they've always stated to commit to every title, an English dub, it's just too expensive, just too much work. It has to be the right set of circumstances. And I think given how long those movies were, they weren't like really long and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But you could pull it off. And especially for the type of series it was, it was something that they knew would kind of put it over the top, so to speak. Yeah, it's not that type of commitment, right? Yeah, I want to see that Digimon movie uncut. You know, the first one. The first, I guess the first two, technically speaking. Mm Mm-hmm. His, yeah. his, to, to remind the audience, uh, that was one of the earliest directorial works of our favorite furry director, Mamoru Hosoda. Mm. So, yeah. That's why Summer Wars feels very similar to Digimon. Those first one or two movies. I forgot which one exactly. There's uh, the experience right there. Okay. All right, let's get let's go let's keep going. So we're but, at Expo still, or but yeah, no, uh, it's sticking out to you. So I was thinking, well, Discotech had their stuff, and I was just gonna quickly say they had some the usual assortment of announcements. But I think the funnier thing I saw was 
one of the live action ones uh, I told you about, uh, Kevin, the one uh, that was, let me find it. It was the recently uh, My Sister, uh, that one, that live action. So the My Sister's that, Unusual lately, is it that or is it a different one? Correct, correct. And so that one they were going to do a live action. And the funniest thing about that was they did that during their stream and they actually showed the uh, trailer and it didn't seem like, obviously it was um, on the mature side and stuff like that, but supposedly it was too mature for Twitch because their Twitch channel was temporarily suspended at the end of June, funny enough Hmm. because of that. So they haven't been able to show that trailer, but that's supposedly coming on November, I guess time just in time for Christmas, right? For everyone. Mm-hmm. But, but funny enough, they have had some classes like they're bringing back Mazinger Z. I'm sure some people are happy about that. They're continuing on with Sergeant Frog. Metabots, the Japanese side, they're going to get to that. And then they're bringing back classics like Crying Freeman's coming back. Chargement Ken's coming back. Street Fighter 2, the animated film, is coming back in 4K and more Lupin. Mm. And I think the Cyber Street Fighter is already out. I think the Street Fighter movie is already out. I remember Justin Simakis was mentioning how well it was doing. Yeah, no, it's already out on Blu-ray, but it just got put out uh, for um, pre-order for November for, 4K? for the 4K oh, edition. Okay. And yes, yeah, supposedly it is sold really well. They've been really surprised uh, with that, but really happy. Supposedly, um, what was it? Gunbuster has done really, really well and stuff like that through the sale since it's released in May, which is interesting to hear. I'm maybe I'm not surprised. Yeah, I I I'm still, only feeling surprised to hear that. I still never fully watched Gunbuster, but uh I never did replace my Bandai Visual DV that I sold ages ago, so something to keep an eye out for myself now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting because they kitchen sink disc, uh they got a lot on there. There's still some stuff I'm sure some people want, but they couldn't get in. I think there were some uh, small little OVAs from the Japanese Blu-ray, Blu-ray release they couldn't get on. They said they were going to try and do a commentary with Jonathan uh, Clements. They couldn't get that on the disc, but if you want to watch it, it's on Justin Zavakis's YouTube channel. And so you can watch that, which is interesting because he is an interesting mind uh, on the anime uh, academic sphere uh, to listen to, just like uh, Helen McCarthy and stuff like that. But um, other things, like I know they had, uh, they rescued Overman King uh, Gengar, which I'm sure a lot of people were happy about because originally that was supposedly rescued by Sentai. So I guess we'll see what happens with those other uh, Bandai titles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then I was surprised that Cyber 6, they're going to do a full Blu-ray upgrade and Blu-ray release of Cyber 6 in October which I think is incredible given uh, that's just a, in my mind, still a small uh, Japanese Canadian co-pro, you know what I mean? Okay. From way back in the nineties. So I guess we have more fans in the States than we thought. And then uh, but there's only one more title I'll throw in there. And it's because of Kevin and his love of uh, shoujo and that this one uh, probably needs some love. And if it gets some sales, you never know, maybe they'll look at some other type of uh, older shoujo and that's uh, Lady Georgie. They supposedly got that for SD Blu-ray, and that'll come uh, later on, either this year or early uh, next year. And that's uh, a shoujo series about this girl named uh, Georgie that takes place in Australia and England. Hmm. So, okay, it, 
it's that was a shoujo one from the 80s it was based on a manga from a shoujo uh, manga in the 80s and i believe that series was done in the mid 80s and stuff like that mm -hmm. so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out so now we get to uh back to anime expo and stuff like that and uh, i know you guys had talked a bit about some of that stuff I was intrigued by, uh, as I said, I'll talk about the crowds, but if I was going to think about one announcement from Anime Expo that I saw that made me really happy, and it's hard with these conventions now because it's basically, here are the new titles for the new season you can watch on your streaming service, right? And we talked about how we love our physical <laughs> media and stuff like that. So realistically, it's not uh, anime, it's not a manga, it's actually a visual novel. And it was at the tail end of a Type Moon panel at Fan, uh, Anime Expo. And that was Tsukahime. We did it. We got it. Tsukahime <laughs> for Nintendo and PS4 is coming out in 2024. We must have got enough sales and bought enough copies of uh, Witch on the Holy Night the year before to make them think, you know, maybe we should release this overseas and stuff like that. And they did release, Aniplex of America released, I wouldn't call it a trailer. I would call it a teaser last month at the end of uh, August on their YouTube channel. That actually shows some of the English uh, in the game and stuff like that. So it's just like, oh, it's coming. It's coming down the pipe. And it's going to be great to see that. And hopefully it does uh, just as well so that they'll think to localize uh, the second uh, part at the same time as they release in Japan instead of waiting later and stuff like that, because they still got three more story arcs to uh, go through supposedly. Hmm. And, and just to note as again, that this is the remake of the visual novel, not the old one from 20 years ago. Correct. Yes, it is uh, a remake and yes, uh, we still have, uh, oh, now it's terrible. I'm, it was Nasu, uh, Kinoku uh, Nasu is still returning, obviously, to write the scenario and direct and stuff like similar to how we did with Witch on a Holy Night. But obviously, it's through a different lens to when they were doing it as a doujin effort and stuff like that. And it is rated mature, but obviously, it's not um, that mature as the uh, original doujin was and stuff like that. Yeah, because uh, Tight Moon is now above doing pornographic scenes. For their visual novels now they don't need to sometimes right. well you go ahead and you know no, what it means just... you know what I mean? we might finally get a Tsukihime anime james yeah no well first they have to get through uh witch on the holy night because remember they announced that and they were going to do it uh, in movie form so we haven't heard any update on that from ufo table yet as to when that's going to start to get out for those there's uh, hope on a holy there's hope they'll make a Tsukihime anime now yeah well <laughs> i guess if that does well too yes the Tsukihime anime we can get an actual anime out there and see how it does i know they were doing um they were on the fate stay night uh timeline and they were doing what was it the fake uh what do they call it fake uh night or fake um oh it's escaping my uh, mind, but it was the um, Fate Stay Night, the one where it takes place in America and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And it's a fake Holy oh. Grail war and stuff like that. And so they had done um, a premiere 
in English of a special at Anime Expo. And so that seems to be what they're focused on now. It was an interesting special. And that one, I know they said, oh, yeah, we'll do a series of that as well. So I think that's what they're cooking up at the moment on the uh, Type Moon uh, UFO table anime side. See, this okay. is me yelling into the void, but wake me up when they redo part one. <laughs> I'll wait. I think it'll take 15 years. I think they'll get to it eventually. Yeah, eventually. Okay. But, but thinking uh, back on Anime Expo itself, I was just remembering seeing uh, the photos, all this stuff, and how crowded it is and stuff like that. And it, it just looks like a fire hazard waiting to happen and thinking to myself how are they moving all these people throughout and this is like one of the biggest convention centers probably in america right and you're seeing all these people just going through just circling them around i don't even know how they're getting them through the building and stuff like that and they've still done things like they closed off a main street in front of the convention center to try and alleviate stuff they still have people there they haven't really capped tickets, it sounds like, but they got rid of the tickets that were similar to the event we went on the Labor Day weekend. Um, that one, Anime Toronto, had regular tickets, and then there was the special ticket that could get you in the front of the line and stuff like that. And I know Anime Expo supposedly used to have that. They got rid of those. And then Anime News Network, I know, also said they got rid of uh, room clearing. So people could just maybe, I guess, camp in a room and wait for a certain panel and stuff like that, which I'm wondering if that would cause even more problems and stuff like that, that they just kind of threw up their hands and said, well, we'll just see what happens. Well, that, that could be asking for trouble. I know. That sounds like trouble. You know? And then uh, even Anime News Network, I know um, they had looked at it and stuff like that. And... Um, I know Lindsay, their uh, head person uh, on the editorial side, she was saying the same thing of, okay, we need to get to certain events and get the team out to certain events. And so their suggestion to them was to come to the press office so they could guide them and get them into a certain panel room or whatever if they needed to get in there. And sometimes they had to do that and hanangle their way into a room and stuff like that because it was already full and stuff like that. Because it, basically it would be the convention staff, you know what I mean, saying whether they would let someone in or not, which is kind of wild. Yeah, and probably would ruffle a few feathers, I'm thinking. Yeah, but. no. And so, I it, and it sounded like, it wasn't like they're pressed, you can let them in. It was kind of like saying, oh no, they're just kind of a part of this panel, so you can just please let them in sort of thing. That's what it sounded like, which is kind of wild. <laughs> Well, those sounds like quite quite a few stories and kind of past what we already thought was going on there. And certain areas, as they said, it was like shoulder to shoulder and you're saying like just one wrong thing, right? And it's like if a crowd went one way, it's like you could have a bad stampede, right? And that's what was kind of weird looking at some of the foes in certain areas and things like that. Hmm. I can see and it. they said the same things they had had before. They said the artist alley was in a basement area with no uh, airflow. And so that could uh, lead to some problems there and stuff like that. And I guess some of the thing is you have to direct these people through certain areas because I guess some of uh, the exhibition area, they had special um, products and whatever that they've now 
brought over to Anime Expo, right? So I guess people want to be there to get certain uh, autographs or they want to be there to get certain special uh, memorabilia that's on sale at a booth, right? Because some of the Japanese mm. companies are actually coming over themselves. Well, it's like I said, like we mentioned before, they they see that market. Like the companies in Japan see that market and they're trying to come out to it now. They know maybe they've uh, exhausted everything they can do domestically, so they have to work for it now. And sometimes they're they're scrambling a little bit. So and I think on the top the of other thing. things. I think the other thing they said was the lines to nowhere. So they said uh, sometimes Ooh. you'd be in a line you didn't know where it was going, or maybe you were hoping you were in a line going to a signing area or going to a certain area, and you're not sure if you're going there, which is probably a big problem that they're going to have to figure out. And I know one of them where that came uh, to light as well was they had the One Piece uh, episode 1000 up. They wanted to do a celebration of that offsite away from uh, the LA Convention Center at the Grammy Museum, right? And that supposedly was at an event space called the Rooftop Terrence. And supposedly that kind of went a little uh, sideways to say the least because they had a line to this Rooftop Terrence part of the Grammy Museum, almost stretching back to the Convention Center. It was a capacity of 400, but they were only letting, probably going to be able to let 100 people up. There was only one exit and entrance in and out, and they didn't have a list of the special guests. So the attendees and the special guests were all in the same line, supposedly, it sounds like, which is kind of wild to think. Um, And so somehow they got some of them in there somehow, but some of them were in the sun. Some of them were, so there was just a mess to be had there. And then I think once they finally got up there, they saw some of the stuff, the paraphernalia of one piece and got to um, go there. There was actually no seating for when they were watching the 1000th episode, the dub and stuff like that. After there were opening remarks, supposedly it sounded like they were sitting on the floor. That's what they were saying. Hmm. So much. Okay. Well, we uh, just talked about that, but I mean, we talked about crowd I- issues, uh, anime North scene versions of it, fan expo scenes, ver- scene versions of it. Uh, yeah, and, no, we've, and, we've, we've, we've talked about it. I know. And we've seen the fire marshal shut down, uh, fan expo for a tiny bit in the early days and it was just because they couldn't use the south building and they were only in the north building but i don't think i've seen something quite like that like i've seen stuff where it's like we're still moving and yeah it was a big crowd at fan expo but you were still moving around this one it was looked like it was just a sea of people and stuff like that it made you wonder well sooner or later anime expo is gonna have to figure out some way to deal with this and then the other question is even if you could move it, where would you move it? Because this is already one of the biggest convention centers and areas and probably uh, in California. Isn't that you think the- about San Diego Comic-Con too, which is probably a similar event. And I'm not sure. I'm, I feel like they have to be dealing with similar issues too, right? Especially given how many people are coming to uh, watch different pop culture events and different anime events and stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah. So, I don't know, you, share, you just, you just, uh, you just uh, look at this in, with awe. 
in my case, because the three years uh, into the pandemic, and people, I guess, just are looking for reasons to get out. I mean, this was the didn't see it coming moment that Anime X, uh, Anime North, pardon me, had last year, and I, I think a lot of the conventions are having or a lot of the big conventions are having a didn't see it coming moment when it came to attendance. I would say that's true for a lot of the conventions. I think Anime Expo and San Diego Comic-Con or a fan expo, you shouldn't have that didn't see it coming moment and stuff like that, unfortunately. So I think they definitely, it's going to be the same thing year after year and they have to figure out a way to get through it and maybe that means being more proactive and capping their um, attendance into the Mm -hmm. tickets they sell and stuff like that and they said some of the other problem I think they said with um, you know how I said there was no clearing of the rooms so someone could maybe just have a room for for like a special guest or for whatever so some of that could relate to they said they were having issues with Anime Expo finding volunteers and so and they, probably need, and they probably need a lot of volunteers to help Damn. run that Sounds through because that's a lot of people coming to that convention. Sounds very familiar. Okay. But, Is there any, any other announcements or anything else that sticks out or because, you know, we were talking anime expo, but let's bring it, let's reel it in uh, reel it home for just a little bit too. I was thinking of going to, um, going to the next event in my mind, which was Fan Expo and stuff like that. And the only reason Fan Expo came to mind is because of uh, Crunchyroll and stuff like that. Because we had talked about, remember, Mike, how we remember Fan Expo before it was Fan Expo, right? So you had Comic-Con, you had CN Anime and stuff like that. And how over time, the anime content kind of went down and down and down to where it almost feels non-existent, right? It's interesting you put it that way, James, because anime content does exist at Fan Expo. It is put on there, but obviously it's not many really think of it. And I'm not going to say it's a tragedy. It's just the way things have gone. It's, it's like all the other aspects of, of the umbrella known as Fan Expo. And and James just hinted at it. Fan Expo is not the name this convention has gone under that under all through its entire history. It used to be just a bunch of brands that like what is it? Like the uh, Canadian National <laughs> National Expo Conve- uh, Comic-Con and CN Anime. I forget if the sci-fi and the horror was blended in there as well into one of the um, umbrellas. Yeah, to one the of comic the, uh, side, one I believe. Branches, it was branches. Yes, it's a long history. And then at a point, and I forgot exactly when the fan expo name started to really come in. It was the mid aughts, I want to say. Like, yeah, it was like, I want to say like oh seven, maybe like around. Yeah, like yeah, it was late. like. Mid to late aughts. It mm-hmm. wasn't oh five, oh six, but oh seven sounds about right. Yeah, and, and the brand is stuck, obviously. Because in, they want something to encompass everything, which is fine. And which is fine. And it's just it's just they the got they wanted to become uh like San Diego Comic Con and they definitely became that. And uh obviously anime became less of a part of that 
but obviously with the way it's went over the pandemic as we've talked anime, oh, and, and yeah the stock in anime probably has went up so they have obviously explored that more and it was interesting that it wasn't till august 10th there was an announcement from crunchyroll in regards to fan expo and they said oh we're coming to fan expo we're coming to toronto and that's probably the first time in a long time they had an industry presence and so basically um crunchyroll came to fan expo and when you they say brought some go ahead and when you say industry presence we're talking about an anime industry presence at fan expo yeah, Canada. because yeah. they had had Jenny on and stuff like that in the early aughts and things like that. And we've had guests in that. But it's been a long, long time, I feel, since they had an industry presence from an anime side and stuff like that, or any yeah. side of the Japanese side at Fan Expo. Yeah, like, I I honestly can't think of anybody since Jenny. Like, maybe Funimation one year, like, back when they were a lot bigger, you know, this is pre-Crunchyroll, but yeah, I can't really think of much otherwise. And they would bring the English voice actors and stuff from Funimation and things like that up to Fan Expo. And there's some people that love to come to that event, which is great. It's just nothing too much on the industry side. And to the extreme that this announcement, because I looked at, I didn't go to Fan Expo, but from what me and Kevin heard, it was interesting what they brought over. So they brought some premieres. They brought uh, some premieres from the next season like the rising of the shield hero season three episode one they brought mf ghost uh episode one as well that's uh, the initial d type anime and then uh, ancient magus uh bride season two uh they brought an episode of that they brought i shall survive using potions episode one they also mm. brought uh, firefighter Daigo, uh, Rescuer in Orange, the first episode, which technically was not a Canadian premiere because ironically, the week before at Anime Revolution, that had already been shown there. And we'll probably get into that when we get into uh, Anime Toronto because that was interesting. And as well, they actually had a Crunchyroll industry panel at Fan Expo and stuff like that. So the first industry panel by an anime company in a long time, and that had uh, Lauren Moore and Tim Liu, which I believe they're uh, part of the marketing team on Crunchyroll. And then they actually had a booth, an interactive booth at Fan Ooh, Expo. Like, and this isn't just like some small shoddy thing. booth, just here's some merch. It was a full-on interactive booth, they said. And me and Kevin saw an Instagram of it. And there was lineups to get into this booth. And it was... Jujutsu Kaisen experience. Yeah. That's I think what I saw it was. Instagram too. It's from uh, it's from from William, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. And, and it it was definitely an experience, and people seemed to enjoy it. They also got some freebies. I think they said like some character cards from Jujutsu Kaisen, a poster from Spy Family. They had some other things that uh, they were giving away as freebies. But this booth experience definitely was like not saying you would put together like overnight, like it was definitely quite a booth, like saying they put at San Diego Comic-Con, something like that, or Anime Expo. So you rarely see that type of thing at a Anime Con in Canada. So I could see why they would do, want to say, okay, we'll go to Fan Expo to give that experience and stuff like that. And then they had uh, some other parts of their booth, but 
definitely interesting for the people who went to see it. It would have made me think, do I want to go for a day? Probably still wouldn't have went because it probably would have been very crowded to get through those crowds to get to those would events and that, that booth, which probably was an event in itself. Yeah. But what did you slight optimism of maybe they'll ramp it up a little more next year and maybe they'll get guests I care about and maybe I'll consider going back one day because I have not been to Fan Expo since I want to say 2018, 2017. That's more recent than me. I'll say I that. And, say and I haven't been in more than 10 years too. Like, Because I, I just don't think a full weekend's worth it anymore because I'm not interested in much else. So then I'm... I'm done in like three hours tops. That's yeah, that... me actually going through Artist Alley too because then I run out of things to look at. And maybe there aren't other panels that intrigue me. Well, Although it's... the panels have gotten a little better post-pandemic. Well, I shouldn't say post-pandemic, but uh, th- they've gotten better panels related to Japanese culture and anime since the pandemic happened. Okay. Uh, I believe that. It's just... The way I'm, I sort of start to look at it is, well, the Asian pop culture thing, and anime again, has become relatively significant in the wider pop culture sphere in North America. So the idea that Fan Expo wants to try and re- uh, begin to recapture some of that isn't a huge surprise. And it was... Although- Although I'm wondering, is this one of those train left the station type things for Fan Expo? Because, I mean, when you start to look at the history of anime programming at Fan Expo, there are stories. And fe- and maybe some hard feelings from from our fandom when you look at what happened in the, in the mid-aughts. Ultimately, I feel it comes to them seeing if the money is there so i'm and, sure the organizers saw the amount of people going into the jujutsu kaisen experience so you would hope that they go oh there is money in this and i guess going into that Crunchyroll viewing room and panel and stuff like that and see how many people were going into that so it sounds like the numbers were good and they gave reasons for people to maybe want to see those premieres and stuff like that because it's harder to get people to go into a video room right these days yeah and then uh, it was interesting when you think about because we saw it because obviously ad space you can't just do it for like one weekend or one event but i guess they got lucky as they say is crunchy roll bought ad space in union station a major train station downtown Toronto, right near the convention center for obviously Fan Expo, but then for the weekend for the anime event we went to. And it was interesting that they had the Jujutsu Kaisen advertising in full force on both floors on their uh, rotating advertisements, which is something I don't think many of us thought we'd see uh, in a long time, right? So it, it certainly grabbed my attention when I saw it there last week. But now it makes sense why you chose, they would choose that show because that was what their um, space was about that experience that yeah. uh, thing was so which is interesting but it obviously that new season is coming up so that yeah. is a big reason to do it and i guess that's what they feel is the big push 
do you think do you think Crunchyroll Roll was aware of Anime Toronto being the the following weekend? And and I say this, and I I I, I want you to hear me out on this thought because remember Crunchyroll had a presence at the original IFF too back in 2019 at the original yeah. IFF Toronto. Yes. So yep. I'm wondering how much Crunchyroll paid attention to knowing anime toronto would have been the following weekend and i think they would know because of the fact that anime toronto or iff whatever you want to call it is an offshoot of anime revolution and they obviously had um the daigo at anime revolution and uh anime toronto to get that they would have to go through crunchyroll and stuff like that so i think they would have had to know and, and they probably set up when that was going to show uh, at Union Station to match up with those two events, probably. It probably, it probably didn't just take, for a month. Yeah, it probably didn't cost them too much more to increase, you know, to increase their time. And it uh, was probably in the budget for space. setting up the booth and everything, right? So, mm-hmm. so it was kind of shrewd in, in that sense. Uh, as I said, I'm really curious to know what will ha- become of anime programming at Fan Expo now because as i said it's gotten somewhere it's gotten some significance that it's not it's not the it's not a joke for geek fandom anymore in north america but that now leads us to anime toronto do we want to segue there now yeah we might as well well. segue our way there it's funny when we were talking about um fan expo and our last experiences and i just remember my last experience was going there as a fan and it obviously it wasn't as many people as they probably were over uh the last event but i think i must have went just on a thursday and there were still a fair amount of people but i just remember us going down i can't remember if it was york street or wherever it was and they had us go through an underground parking lot to get to the ticket spot to get our ticket and then into the south building underground. Oh, I remember this. And it, oh, it, it just, I'm just thinking. My, my lone visit, my last visit there, it was. And just thinking about that, and it's like crazy how many people and how they shepherd in it, how e- at ease it was getting through that. And that's why I was thinking that was about Anime thing, yeah. Expo. And I'm like, so if we can do that, how do you do that in other locations? Because it's just gargantuan task right and how you would do that now with fan expo since i'm sure they have even more people right yeah i I, that that did stick out to me i remember that part of the experience having to buy the ticket and it was the only reason i say that before we go here is when obviously smaller event for anime toronto so when we went to get our tickets we didn't have to go through an underground uh, garage or anything like that we just had to go to the north building and to uh, the reception area and there were just a few small uh, lines, and we just had to uh, show our receipt to someone, and they uh, graciously gave us a pass and stuff like that. So it was really no pain and stuff like that, but interesting nonetheless. Where else do you want to really start with the Anime Toronto discussion? Because uh, that was that was the experience too. I can't. Uh, mine I guess- was. I came on the Friday after work. Got there, got there pretty, got there pretty much not uh, less than an hour before the vendors hall closed. But I was, you know, it didn't take me too long to get the, get my pass. 
And I forgot I had a pass. I, I, I mentioned in the space heater chat, I wasn't going to go, but then I realized, oh, wait, did I keep rolling that thing over, over the year, over the past four years? And you did. I did. So I found out that my pass bot at the end of 2019, I believe it was, had long ro- had rolled over all that time. So I no, had they kept the records. Really so. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. So no, they. I think they honored everyone who wanted to roll over. They honored them and stuff. And like this was that. the last year they'd roll over. So, and it was interesting. Actually, it's funny when I went to pick up my pass on the Friday at around I want to say 11 a.m. or so. They, um, I actually went to the regular line, and then the guy that was doing the premier line because I guess there wasn't many uh, picking up a premier pass. He just said, "Come on over." Got they got him already. And away I went. And, I saw a few uh, panels and stuff like that. Checked out the vendors hall, which almost was a carbon copy of what IFF was in uh, 2019. Though they had uh, for the autograph lines and that learned their lessons. It looks like from the 2019 event, it sounded like one person I talked to when I was in line uh, for Yukana on uh, the Saturday morning had a flashback from then. So he was kind of like in a tizzy, but they did a lot better. They got people into the line and then they set up a thing at the back of the hall where they set up taped lines and said, okay, any overflow, we're going to put you here and stuff like that. They didn't have them sending them all the way back through the vendors hall, which was, I think, a big problem of uh, the 2019 event. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And it wasn't like every man for himself. Like people, I do agree. There was a lot of people there, Kevin, when, uh, we arrived first thing Saturday morning and stuff like that. And it built yeah. up and people, they weren't running to get to the August, but definitely a lot of people were going close to there first. It looked like when I was going there. Okay. And the other thing that was of interest, and this is true for anime Toronto. And then for the convention anime revolution, their main con that they held two weeks before in August in Vancouver and the events before always allowed you to bring personal items to have the guests on. You know, I mean, to works they were related to and they had to be official and they'd usually, one person before would just have a look, make sure it isn't anything that is um, contraband. You know what I mean? Like unofficial or anything. Contraband. It could be contraband. You never know. People bring odd things to sign, Kevin. Yeah. But, But suffice to say, this time for both Anime Revolution and for us in Anime Toronto, we didn't know till we looked at the website for the guests and it was definitely on the Japanese guests for Yukana, definitely for, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name, uh, Atsushi Abe. Yes. For those two, they had uh, a thing under their autograph thing. They talked about pricing and I'm looking at it. It's like no personal items. It's like, okay, it's like, you can get a free autograph, but it has to be on the badge. And oh. so I only saw one person that did that. So then what's our other option? Guess what? You got to pay more money to get uh, Shikishi, a signboard, signed by them. And that was interesting, too, because I went back, and I'm sure some people may have looked back if they knew that Anime Revolution was associated with Anime Toronto and saw that at anime revolution two weeks ago they had the same policy for the first time there and the thing with that was those Mm. signboards were 20 dollars for the japanese guests and stuff like that at anime toronto 
two weeks later, somehow we had a price bump of $15 and we were at $35. It's not somehow, is, James, and you know that. It, 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 just, it just did not leave a good taste in the mouth. I decided I really want to get something signed by Yukana. And so I bit the bullet, and that's the only one I paid money to get a signature for. It was for um, Yukana because she had played Mei Lin in Cardcaptor Sakura. She had played uh, in Full Metal Panic, uh, Tessa, and stuff like that. And obviously, she was in many more different series that people loved and knew in video games and anime. For me, so. it would have been C2 from Kogias, but I elected not to get a signature because... <sighs> It had been so long since Code Geass for me that I my gut feeling was that I hesitated. And so I thought, you know what? If I'm not chomping at the bit to get one signed, then I won't. Although I will say, if it was uh if it was Callan who came instead, that may have been a different story. <laughs> probably would have uh I probably would have bit the bullet if if it was Callan's voice actress, who I believe is Ami Koshimizu, I'd have to double check, but I elected not to. But it was interesting, like thinking on the pricing and stuff like that. I feel like they definitely, after some of the stuff they had had and things like that, I think they were like, you know what? We don't want to deal with lines. We're just going to say, okay, here's your choices. Good luck. There were still had an overflow line so obviously it didn't deter everyone and then if you really wanted it you could pay the ridiculous premium badge price of over two hundred dollars and there were some people there were some people in line for that but interesting for those premium badge people guess what for paying that ridiculous price they got one free signboard signing for one of the guests well supposedly that came with controversy at Anime Revolution because I guess they didn't put it in clear writing, so they had an amendment, amendment, amendment. on the Anime Revolution well, site, yeah, yeah, saying that no, you don't get a free signing for each guest, only one guest. Whew. So I guess they must have had someone uh, confront them or complain or whatever. But yeah. obviously choose for one, this one, right? they were choose yeah. one. And we'll, I think and, most and people we'll have chosen Yukana, we'll I ticket. think, is what happened. And, punch your t- and then we'll punch your ticket. <laughs> well, I mean, if you... Well, most men would have chose Yukana. And yeah, most, well... Most... And, bo- and both girls. How and many, how many female fans girls? would have likely went with Abe because he's... He's in a fair amount of those EK men shows lately. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Was the premium pass, like... I thought of that more as a as a male um a male purchase type thing. How many how many uh, females how many women would have bought that premium pass? I saw a few women with it. I did see a few women with it as well. There there obviously was not as many as the regular pass, but there was still I think a fair split between male and female from what we saw. Okay. And then it it was interesting, yeah. So we, we got through those lines. And it was interesting when you think about for previous conventions, because I've seen it on the dub side. It's interesting how we're, we've been so used to going to a convention and being able to bring an official piece of merchandise, getting it signed for free on the enemy side. And I forget now that even on the dub side, they have like price lists for some of these dub actors and all these things. And it's crazy is- how much it costs to have a picture how much to have an autograph, how much to have 
a recording of their voice and the character of your choice for their uh, voicemail and stuff like that. Some of the things See, they'll do. And I can't fault them for it because, you know, I mean, they got to hustle. They got to get some money for themselves. And, and, but it's crazy how it's exploded in certain aspects of it. And with the ongoing ongoing actors and writers strike going in the States, it's shone a spotlight on some of them really do have to hustle. I, I don't really know what it would be like in Japan for such and talent. And that's, I think, the other reason me and Kevin don't feel great about paying the price to Anime Toronto, Anime Revolution, because they're probably pocketing the money. That's the they, other part. They, they are not... I don't I think it's going like, yeah, some of it's going to the Japanese guys because they brought them over. They get to enjoy some of the different sights and sounds for us in Toronto. A lot of them like to go to Niagara Falls and things like that. But at the end of the day, I don't think they're giving a bit of that autograph thing specifically to the guests. It's just whatever the normal uh, rate is to get them over and things like that. I think they pocket whatever. That's, yeah, I was yeah like I know with the English voice actors, they're likely to be pocketing more of it. I don't know the exact agreements, right? But I feel for the Japanese side, I, I suspect it's most likely going to... Uh, the agency? Or, no, and... most likely going to Anime Toronto's coffers. Well, they get to build it up. Yeah, but on top of that, is it, aside from just that... Like the most obvious part, you know, the whole dollar dollar bill y'all aspect. Is there another reason we we came to this point? Is it to cut lines? Is it to prevent merch prevent signed merchandise from going on eBay? Or are those were those part of the motivations for this and policy? Funny enough, I took a look, Kevin, because we were thinking about it. But one of the things in their thing about Agras with the Japanese guests on both Anime Revolution and Anime Toronto, they actually allowed people that you could get one autograph from the guest from each signing and stuff like that. So it wasn't like you went to one signing and then you were done. You could keep on going back, which is kind mm -hmm. of nuts. Because all um, you have is just your badge and the uh, signboard, right? Mm -hmm. Like if it was allowing personal items, you could understand why myself or Kevin might go and bring a different monger, something like that. But yeah, and that's what, if you're and just getting a sideboard, I think you got to be respectful and just go the once. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking when I when I said all of this being you know flipped items going up on eBay, that's what I refer to by personal items. I was thinking personal items, get them signed. That was the that was the thing I was hearing around the con as in why they possibly went with just shikishis, because this was a problem at Anime Expo, apparently. This has been a thing since. This, yeah, this would have, this happened this, at this year's Anime Expo, where people were getting multiple items signed, like Funko Pops and stuff, and then uh, people were trying to button line, like those, like, because people, you would they would have groups, and then try and get things signed, and then then they would put them up on eBay afterwards. That was the plan. So they were apparently some people being aggressive and trying to cut in line and stuff, and 
people of course were not happy so that was the supposed reason why the shikishi policy was put in place as well mm-hmm. giving also- uh, as talking about the lines at anime expo it's like it's amazing people would have the balls to even do that given how tight it is trying to get from place to place or to even figure out what line you're in well yeah it is a a ballsy thing to do okay but th- there's another aspect that we sort of learned and that was talking with some some of our some of our japanese friends remember that conversation we had uh, on uh, on friday i believe and our, our, our and our mutual friend kevin she told us also that sometimes in in japan you a lot of fans can't get this close to a lot of their favorite voice actors. What I don't know exactly what I should have clarified with her with was if it was straight up, this would never happen period. Or if this wouldn't happen without being part of the fan club and then joining a lottery for the signings and stuff or the handshake events, because I know that can be a thing as well. And I think that's more of what it is, is when you're going to, concerts or you're going to events for these type of voice actors and stuff like that and they have an event where you can get things signed and stuff yeah it's probably something pre given to you that you can get signed sometimes you don't have a choice and then you still have to get into the event which as you said kevin you may have to buy something to get a code to get into a lottery to get the ticket or you have to be in the fan club to then get a chance to get a, you know what I mean? A chance for the lottery. Like there's all sorts of weird ways. Well, yeah. But when it's I not heard... as simple as buying a, a ticket to an event and then knowing they're going to show up there. Yeah. It, there's a few hoops, but it, it, it kind of, how do I put this? Remember when Halko Momoi went to anime North, I think it was in 2008 and much of her fan club from overseas came to that event as well. And we found out it was, it sounded like it was just a chance to get up close, a little bit more up close than they probably would in Japan. And then, and then you hear stories about them really dominating, dominating the, the resulting auction later on. Right. But it was just like, it made me think of that, of a lot of the things that surrounded her appearance when I heard that story. Or so, trying to get into the concert itself and stuff yeah. like that. And that was a hot weekend, I remember, too. So I remember that one well. Yeah, it was just uh, kind of interesting in that sense. But it was still quite an event to see happen well, and take place and even have them participate in. And they definitely brought a lot of energy to the concert, too. Yeah, yeah, they did. Okay, so just general takes uh, on the convention. I mean, di- I mean, I'll, I'll come out and say it, but the, I didn't, uh, I didn't expect the greatest amount from the vendors hall or at least on my, uh, on my level, of course, what well, my preferences and what I'm looking for are probably different from a lot of the current fandom, the current generation of the fandom. So in one sense, I wasn't disappointed. And I, and some of it's also the hangover from Fa- fan expo the week before. But what was your observations about the vendors hall? I think it was a carbon copy of the 2019 event. So it was nothing really to speak of. There was larger uh, 
showing on the artist alley side. Hopefully they found uh, some sales and stuff like that. It's interesting when we're thinking, we're talking about autographs and how they did all this stuff. I wonder if they would have got way more premium passes sold if it was like the 2019, because remember in 2019, they had most of the Fate Stay Night uh, Seiyus come to that event. So if they ever do an event like that, I'm sure uh, they'll get the sales and they'll have people lining up again. So it'll be interesting. But the guests were still great that they brought over on both the Japanese side, the English side. Then they had some pop culture uh, figures like uh, PJ Phil and stuff like that. I remember from YTV and stuff like that. So Phil Guerrero. On the, so uh, he on came the on Saturday, and so that was interesting to see. And I saw with Kevin uh, Yukana's panel on Saturday, which had some interesting questions. They were lighthearted questions from the staff, but then once they they actually had some really nice questions uh, from the audience because that's a coin flip. You never know how it's going to go, but they went half hour over, so they went an hour and a half with the questions. And it was quite interesting to see her uh, talk about her different experiences. Unfortunately for her, as she said, she did get to go to Niagara Falls. She didn't want to see that. But she said her luggage was lost when uh, she came over uh, to anime uh, Toronto, in Toronto. And so she was trying to get that back, which she's luckily said she was able to get her luggage back. But as they said, air travel is still uh, fraught with uh, issues even now. And then... Uh, the other things uh, we saw, we saw the sound director they brought over to Anime Revolution and to Anime Toronto, uh, Takashi uh, Takadera, and he knows a bit of English, so he spoke a bit in English, and he had done Oshinokoi as his last one for sound directing, but the one he's working on now is um, the Firefighter Daigo anime that's coming up. And so he brought to Anime Revolution and to Anime Toronto the first episode. So me and Kevin watched that and we enjoyed that. And Takadera also um, basically answered a few questions. He answered one of Kevin's, so that was nice. And he also did a rock, paper, scissors because he brought three posters that were signed by the three main leads, I believe, of uh, Firefighter Daigo for people to win in the eye. So that was really nice uh, to see and stuff like that. And then there were some intriguing fan panels that they uh, had and stuff like that, a mix of them that I went to on the Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Takadira, I have to bring him up because I didn't see the greatest amount. Uh, I saw like the last 15 minutes of uh, his Sunday panel. And I, but it brought back so many, so many great memories of, of what he did in, in 2019 and how colorful he is, how, concise how you know he he's a guy you could just sit and listen to and i got that sense again at the, in those final 15 minutes too but i just remember you know how uh, how detailed he was with uh with his work as a as a voice director and i'm pretty sure that came out again i'm i know that came out again in his panel on sunday so. And yeah, me and Kevin had went to the panel where it was uh, Takadera and then Abe together on Sunday morning. And that was a fun one because they had worked together on some series and stuff like that. So it was kind of this back and forth uh, between obviously how they work together as sound director and uh, the Seiyu and stuff like that. And it was interesting questions from both uh, the con and from the people in attendance and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, 
I mean, yeah, it's just, as I said, I never really had the chance to soak it in as much as you guys did because I only saw the last couple hours each day because I was, I was working. So I would work. And then if I, and then depending on my energy level after work, I would be able to come down and only, I could only see so much each time I went down, got into nice, some, some nice conversation, saw some interesting things. Also realized once again, how old I am. Cause some of those things I couldn't get into as much, but yeah, I they had some VTubers too. And it sounds like the VTuber panel they had on Sunday they definitely needed like they had the main room and then an overflow room and they definitely used both rooms for that VTuber event they had on the Sunday. So definitely people came for that as well. So they definitely got people in for the different Japanese gets, the VTubers. And uh, even though it felt small and kind of similar, as you said, for IFF 2019, it felt like a CN anime event from way back in the day right and maybe that feels because we were in the same building you know what i mean the same space oh, yeah it, it, see when when we did uh did it in 2019 i just tried to imagine imagine the cn anime stuff from almost 20 years before so and, go ahead and this one uh, maybe it felt a tiny bit smaller they didn't use the bottom floor for those big, big events. They just had concert, the main yeah. floor and then the upper part for the uh, vendors hall and stuff like that. And the other interesting thing they didn't have here, they had in the 2019 event and they even had it at Anime Revolution two weeks before. They didn't have a video room, which was intriguing because you usually would think maybe you have a small video room just in case someone wants to do something else or take a quick break and watch something, you know what I mean? But there was no video room, which was no, interesting that's too. Yeah, that was just, well, maybe that's it's not just needed, I, but as yeah, we had talked about before, it, but it was interesting. I times. I think oh, the only just, thing, if you had wanted to watch something, was the premiere of Fighter, Fighter Daigo, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. In many respects, it, it was like they had taken steps back, but that was just, you know, pan, you can blame the pandemic. And it's also clear they're, they haven't given up on Toronto. They'll be yeah. back. I just don't know exactly when. But yeah, right. no, they definitely filled the rooms. Like the Yukana panel was completely full for that main events room. The same for um, probably the VTubers and stuff like that. Some of the other Yukana panels were probably well attended. The one we went to with the sound director and the voice actor, uh, Abe and Takadera, it was not, it was maybe half full would be generous. So not too full, but not not that it was empty, but it was, a little less uh, full. And then even for the firefighter Daigo, that one was more, I would say, just half full as well and stuff like that. But that still was mm-hmm. a good showing, I'd say. Yeah. But- ultimately, ultimately, the comparisons are going to be there, though. Like, oh, uh, the comparisons are going to be there. Anime North, Fan Expo, where does this ultimately sit for fandom? Especially Anime North. And when we... Walked around, we kept seeing familiar faces from Anime North, too. Got into some really interesting conversations. So, a quick yes or no, James. And Kevin can come in, too. Does this, in some ways, start to bail out Anime North? I mean, somebody said... Kevin, a couple years ago, said... 
maybe now with uh, with IFF now here and the stuff that we know they can potentially give in terms of international guests, in some respects that ta- that could take Anime North off the hook just a little bit over those type of things. I know. I guess they- I can see what you say because it's kind of like they kind of complement each other. Like one, it's like fan event run by the fans you come and meet your old friends you enjoy uh the hobbies you enjoy together right and then uh, you can go to event if you want to see some high profile guests and stuff like that and meet some people and see some cosplay you can do that so it's kind of like similar but different yeah it's also how kind of cn anime and anime north kind of work uh, in the past, even though we know, obviously, uh, they had their uh, competition with each other, so to speak. Yeah, and it's not, yeah, and we thought it would be a little bit more here, but really, it's just not there anymore. And maybe that's the point. It's just, you, you get the feeling you can't feel, you, that's not going to be there here in this instance either. But we do get the sense it's a bit of a culture shift for a fandom in Toronto because then. We're going to see a contrasting way to do these, uh, like a very different way of doing these type of conventions. We're going to be, you know, Toronto's going to have a chance to see what it's like to see a more commercial type anime convention. But that said, you never know because each year is different for guests for Anime North. This year, I think they had some really good guests because they brought some people from Studio Orange over and that got a lot of good feedback from people and had a full panel when they did their panels and stuff like that at the Congress Center. And so it was nice to see that industry guests and stuff because sometimes you don't always see it. That's why it was nice to see uh, Takadarasan there uh, over the Labor Day weekend, hear his perspectives along with the voice actors and stuff like that too, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, but it just has me wondering what the future does hold. And then that allows some of the other events to bring other different guests because obviously Anime North, they haven't really brought any manga guests or stuff like that or light novel guests. And I'm not sure that um, the people that run Anime Toronto or Anime Revolution, they do get Japanese guests, but I'm not sure they get too many on the manga and light novel side. So places like TCAF, and even uh, the event that we'll talk about maybe a little later on in um, the, uh, what is it, Toronto International Festival of Authors. It's interesting that they could bring in some Japanese uh, guests on the manga side and stuff like that. And we've been really lucky to have one of those maybe once per year from places like that or TCAF. Mm-hmm. Oh, and even just... uh, the Japan Foundation for that uh, matter, because I know they help in those uh, type of events for uh, TCAF and stuff like that. Okay. It was uh, end of summer. We had the CNE finishing up. We had the air show uh, in the air as we were there uh, at the Toronto Convention Center. And the other thing uh, in the air, as I remember talking to someone else, was uh, the stars and TIFF. And they Mm -hmm. were still sparkling, even though, yes, there is uh, a writer strike going on down south. But uh, the interesting thing is we were thinking about was the premiere movie for Toronto International Film Festival, which was a first for it at the Roy Thompson Hall. And the unlikely uh, thing to kick it all off was a Hayao Miyazaki movie and his new movie. And 
that is, I'd say, a, a big accomplishment. And obviously, if you picked any anime that was probably going to lead off, obviously, it would be something like a Heio uh, Miyazaki movie. But The Boy and the Heron uh, kicked it off. The premiere outside Japan was at TIFF on uh, the Thursday night at Roy Thompson Hall. And I'm sure that would be a great thing for people because I'm sure it wasn't obviously just people that are fans of anime but and animation, but they had just regular movie fans and entertainment fans. So different people had a different look at uh, one aspect of our fandom and hopefully got an interest to maybe see another movie if they ever see it down the road. You know what I mean? Yeah, although uh, when Mo was here briefly, he talked a little bit about, you know, tickets going for that going a little bit more than it. Yeah, Ticketmaster was the official uh, merchant for uh, Toronto International Film Festival. So, yes, there was uh, probably going to be scalping. Luckily, uh, it wasn't as bad as some of the other high profile movies. But yes, $300 on StubHub to get those tickets, which is kind of crazy. But before we kick off to uh, Kevin on his thoughts on Anime Toronto, I think the other thing of note is that obviously they brought someone from Studio Ghibli to the premiere on uh, Thursday. Obviously, they didn't bring Hayao Miyazaki and stuff like that, but they brought uh, one of the Studio Ghibli uh, VPs, uh, Junichi uh, Nishoka, and basically he was on there. And he told us, I think, the worst kept secret that we knew was going to happen. And that is, of course, Heo Miyazaki at 82 is not going to retire. He's just going to keep on working and that he's already in the office coming up with new ideas for whatever he decides to do next and stuff like that. Why shouldn't we be surprised? Yeah, because his, his son doesn't do the best work, unfortunately. No. And then the <laughs> other thing to kick off is because that was probably the kickoff for the thing that day we got from G Kids. Guess what? We are going to get this out into theaters as we knew they would. And I guess the sub and dub are going to be out. I think it's December 8th. So in December, yeah. we're going to see that out, which is great to see. And we'll probably uh, watch that uh, when it comes out. And of course, G Kids had to do a teaser, even though in Japan they said, no, we're not going to do a teaser. We're not doing a trailer. We're not doing anything. We're just going to send the theater, like the movie to theaters and they got the people in the seats. And that, but but that's I, I'm guessing so. for this teaser, they had to go to, obviously, G-Kids has a great relationship with um, Studio Ghibli and that that's how they've been, because they've been getting their theaters continually showing them in uh, theaters, right, every year and doing the festival of their well, different Most years. Them out. Not every year lately. But um, Obviously, that makes them feel good, like compared to Disney, where it was just kind of sitting on a shelf, so to speak, that they want to celebrate their films. So I think probably in the negotiation, they had the trust and said, okay, we'll let you do a small teaser for the international version and let them send it out. So, And obviously, they could do it because it's already been out for a number of weeks and a couple months so far in uh, Japan already. So that Yeah, it's too. like, well, no, they had to, you know, they... It's like they went up to Julie and said, look, this is how we live, man. We can't just not promote this thing. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, what work, once again, what works in Japan doesn't necessarily work outside of it. Yep. How does Studio Ghibli live by not putting out promotions? Well, as a, 
it was easy in Japan. That, yeah. that much I know. And we okay. know, obviously, with the merchandise and stuff like that, they limited how much. But then uh, once uh, Miyazaki and Suzuki found out that some of them were selling more, they were ticked off and how long it took for them to convince them, could we maybe do a theme park? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, let, let's, I, still, uh, I still will always call it, how do you live? <laughs> How do you well, live? that's the book. Maybe I'll read the book. I always said I'd want to read the book. I know because he bases so many off of different books and different things. But it'll be interesting to see what happens come December. Maybe we'll see it together. But uh, as for Kevin, uh, what were your final thoughts on Anime Toronto? I know oh, you me, actually me... took a peek at the Discord because I know they had an official oh, Discord. Yeah. Like every event or everything has well, nowadays, right? Okay, Kevin. Yeah, give us your thought, and then I'll ask you that. Que- I'll ask you that question. Okay. Day one, very quiet. Uh, I didn't get there till past five o'clock. And then I was probably through that dealer's room within 30 minutes. That's generous. I was going to say, that's a generous statement because I said we, it was the same as 2019. Like I can literally like roadmap it almost the same. So from my understanding, the vendors who had applied for 2020 were grandfathered in, and then any other new vendors had actually applied through a lottery system for the remaining tables. So, But the interesting thing was that with Artist Alley, there were a surprising amount of empty tables even on the weekend. Because I could understand maybe not showing up on the Friday. But Sunday was interesting. And uh, based on what I he- see and read on the Anime Toronto Discord server, uh, by and large, the artists were not happy with uh, how they were placed and how the configuration of Artist Alley was. Because the way I see it is that if you front load the retail vendors at the front and you have the artist alley at the back, there's a good chance you won't have people going all the way to the back to explore. I did find that layout a little precarious for artist alley if -hmm. anything the only way you could possibly save that was when you have like the autograph lines like the overflow from the autograph lines because that would run they were behind the they were behind them right so yeah it's uh i've i've been skimming the feedback channel and yeah not a lot of happy people some people were saying they even lost money at the con this year. And usually you make money in Artist Alley because, you know, your fellow creators may support you. And then you do have people that will come just to buy like art and, and accessories and whatnot. Like I have a couple friends. That's what they primarily buy when they go to these cons. 
so it's really hard to sum up like it's really hard to sum up all the problems at once but uh it's it got to a point where the chat got heated in that the the owner actually had to come forward to address a number of concerns interesting Mm -hmm. interesting so well i guess i with that having said all that i don't have to bring up the whole like we were talking also just it's i feel like it's very uh maybe i shouldn't just be surprised this layout this layout hasn't wasn't different i don't feel like this was any different in 2019 Oh yes, yeah. so the own the owner and founder of the con had to step in to address some of the concerns, and uh, of course, th- these are feedback that they need to take into consideration. Uh, who knows what they will take into consideration? Because it'll be at least another several months before they would do another con here, and who knows if they're going to even do it downtown again well i think the one they want to do 2020 in july was at the metro convention center so i think they would do it there again but the question is where do they want a regular date in the calendar to put it do they want it in the summer wherever because the first one 2019 was an easter weekend and then this one was labor day weekend so it'll be interesting to see where they would fit themselves in the calendar if they want to make it an annual event okay so let me see i'm going to read some of these uh i'm going to read the remarks by the founder just got to find them first okay and then maybe we'll just uh and that and the and the chatter um Although while I look for it, I will say that uh, I was super happy to see that episode one of Firefighter Daigo. <laughs> I had mentioned that. Yes, you are quite happy. And we got yeah, some Q&A just... after that, which was nice. And they had brought uh, three posters signed by the three uh, main saves. So that was really nice, too. I mean, yeah, if I'm to, if I'm to be positive, it, I just it, it was just nice to soak in the atmosphere. It wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad atmosphere by any stretch. It was a and it felt a little admittedly a little quiet and smaller like i mean anime north is the comparable i'll always use but i you know i never felt i wasted any time where every every uh, evening i was able to come down that all said well i did i did pay the very super early bird and by the time the show rolled around i know that the price of that uh three-day pass was more than twice as much of what, what i paid for it Mm-hmm. Yeah, of what we had originally paid and yeah and obviously that, that makes us feel uh, like we got our money's worth but yeah sometimes there were obviously lines if you want to get certain autographs or sometimes get into certain main events like i as i said kevin uh, the vtuber event seemed like it had its line start early on the sunday and they used both rooms the main and the overflow room uh, for those vtubers so that people was were lining party. up People were lining up since a little bit before 10 o'clock because my friend joined the line shortly afterwards after I helped him offload a spare badge because he bought two by accident. Well, more like he forgot his rolled over. And then, uh, so I was in line for a good 30 minutes 
with him talking to other VTuber fans while uh, I was waiting for a guy to buy my pair of Vans shoes. <laughs> and then, yeah, oh man, that, the enthusiasm of these fans can, uh, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's a little unnerving, but at the same time, it's also very admirable. I, <laughs> okay. I say that just because uh, the type of fanaticism that, that can breed from these types of performers. Like it's, I feel like it's a very fine line and I feel like the people in line with, with my friend and I were quite civil for the most part, a couple of weirdos in line too, that. Well, we, we saw one on Saturday. Remember where it was a fellow asking if a VTuber event was happening. It's like, no, we're there in line for uh Yukon and stuff like that. Or was yeah. it the, no, maybe it was yeah, no, it was definitely that one. It wasn't when I was there for the Daigo premiere. But you had come and it was just by definitely fanatical in one sense. But the other thing I remember was just his hat. It was just a simple black hat, but on the front of it had all in small letters hentai. <laughs> and that just kinda I don't know why that stuck out, but I just did. And I said, That's a fan base. I'm thankful I didn't see anyone with an Akehao shirt. Okay, uh, but but uh, yeah, there was one guy in line that was kind of weird towards my friend because apparently he recognized him from Anime North. Oh boy, but which is interesting. But uh, I only caught the overflow, like I caught some of the concert at the end of the panel, which was nice. But I can, I kind of wished I was in the main room though, just because I can see the people uh, react yeah, and like, yeah. of course the atmosphere would be a lot different from the overflow room because the overflow room is mostly people just quietly watching or just relaxing while like trying to figure out what else to do with their day uh the room is just the ones who want to be there yeah oh of course truly want to be there. They, they line up three hours in advance and I, I without a doubt there were people that came just for sunday for the whole alive event because uh kiara takanashi is very popular she is one of the more popular Hololive VTubers. Hmm. Rene, I think, is newer, if I'm not mistaken. But but Friday basically was very quick. Uh, and I, I know you and I met up briefly towards the end, Mike. Uh, mm -hmm. Saturday, let's see. I got there pretty early because my friend uh, likes to be at these things very early. Right. Uh, well, I yeah, I went to most of the panels that had Japanese guests. Uh, Yukana's was nice in that it did go over time. Well, you you did hour. go through, yeah, yeah, and it was interesting to see how much uh, depth she gave to her answers, even for obscure characters from like MOBA games or mobile games. Sometimes it made me wonder, like, did you do you really remember these minor characters that you're playing? And that you're just very good at making stuff up on the spot. Like if regardless, well, remember that's she very said she impressive. cares about all her characters, right? She can't choose one. She told that to a few people. <laughs> like it's easy if you mention Mailing or Tessa or C2 or any or the the game the character she voiced for the Tales games, for example. But yeah, there were some people that dug deep. I remember that's for but sure. Wow, I'm just like, oh, like wow. <laughs> 
Well, sometimes that happens a lot. Okay. Don't worry, don't worry. By the time we got to see Daigo and we got to the Q&A there, uh, Kevin's been pegged as the only firefighter Daigo fan in Canada, I think. <laughs> He's been marked. Yeah, okay. I, I own the whole thing. Uh, so to, for those who don't know, uh, this new anime is a spinoff series of the original Firefighter Daigo uh, manga by Masahito Soda. And... The first series got an OVA or like a short movie like way back, but this is the first time uh, Daigo in, in of any kind has gotten a, a TV series. So uh, seeing it, you know, seeing it in in nice definition and seeing like the situation they were in, yeah, it kind of did bring a tear to my eye. Like no joke, I was just like, wow, like we're finally getting Daigo of some kind, and this <laughs> probably will yeah, be no, the only they... way I experience the new Daigo because. No way that manga is getting licensed. <laughs> but uh because the the first Dago series did horribly for Viz and I think the new one is by Kodansha, but yeah, I don't see them putting that out physically. That'd be that'd be insanity unless it this show somehow blows up. But yeah, it was it was really cool to see that uh, see episode 1. I, I might actually give a real effort to try and watch this as it airs. Uh, okay. Okay, and then Sunday was and then, Sunday was like yeah, just it's basically more of the same. But I did find the response that Can gave. Let's hear this before we uh, end the end the talk, and then try and finish up the episode. I finally finished reading through all the feedback. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts. You, who was another uh, staffer on the Discord server, does not solely represent our entire organization. He tirelessly volunteers his time to help our communications, but I can see how that would create the impression that he's speaking on behalf of all of us. For those who do not know, I am the founder of both Anirevo and Anime Toronto. It frustrates me to have disappointed so many of you, but I want to let you know that your feedback is extremely valuable to me. I have already documented every concern that has been brought up and will take steps to implement solutions for all of them. It's unrealistic for me to say that I can fix everything, but I want to at least let you know that we care and take the feedback very seriously. Side note, we tried moving, with permission, all artists from the back row because we heard so many of them had a hard time in their location. That was a big issue that I didn't bring up, actually, that some people were actually moving around to different tables, apparently. Side note two, a coalition of artists formed that wanted to be moved, bracket, they were to be annexed by themselves after we removed empty tables, close bracket. So we did that as well to help with the concerns around our polar stage. I think that was the uh, open performance stage on the right side. Yeah, that was at the front, yeah, on the uh, right side. This isn't to pat myself on the back, just to explain that we didn't just move people without their permission, and that we really want you all to have a great time at the event. There was one booth we slid, one booth over that I couldn't contact. The booth had empty booths on either side of them, so I didn't think it was too much trouble to move them. With that said, I'm sorry, we should have notified ahead of time. On behalf of the team, we sincerely apologize for so many of the problems you experienced this year. Today, our final set of guests left the city. Oh, and I can focus my attention better on how we can improve and send out that feedback form we've been promising, which they did have since put out. 
Thank you for coming this year and giving us a chance, and we'll work hard to rebuild the trust we lost this year. P.S. Feedback form coming later tonight or early tomorrow. I'm getting kicked out of the cafe I'm in. Who closed the cafe okay. at 5 p.m.? It's. Let me just quickly say, I always thought that this year's Anime Toronto was a no-win situation anyway. A, a, a real Kobayashi Maru. Labor Day, week after Fan Expo, this type of stuff after three years, like four years since the original. So it was it was always playing behind the eight ball. So and I feel the other thing that you think about too is they came back a few months uh, earlier. Obviously said that, but basically they were planning two cons. They had Anime Revolution, their main con that they had already brought back the year before. They had that two weeks before. Then they had to do Anime Toronto two weeks later and stuff like that. And obviously they planned it because I guess they felt it would work better, but that can still can have complications, if you know what I mean, I feel. Mm -hmm. Especially if they're going cross-country from Vancouver to Toronto and stuff like that. That's probably the case, to be honest. Uh, I need to actually get in touch with a, a friend of mine who was con off, actually. Anyway, the, but uh, there's our there's some thoughts on Anime Toronto uh, this year. Oh, one more thing, actually. Uh, I noticed that uh, not a lot of the retailers were ones that I recognized. So a lot of the usual players were not at this con. Okay. With the, oh, yeah. the, labyrinth, the only one, one me and you in. would recognize is probably Labyrinth, but yeah, yeah that other was, than that, it and was, Omomo was there too, actually. Oh, yeah, Navita World was there too, as well. Ah, yes, Navita was there, and Omomo was there, yeah. But they had some Funko Pop people, they had some clothing people, they had some, it was a different mix, that's all we could say. Yeah, mm -hmm. there are a couple of uh, of clothing retailers that do have like officially licensed clothing. That was nice. I'd heard of some of these, and the stuff's okay. Depends on what it is. Doesn't appeal to me that much, but then you know, I'm I'm approaching jaded older fan territory, so I'm oh, it, it's, it's great. It, it, it's great territory. I must tell you that. Well, I hate to tell you, well, the the one event that we're probably going to talk about on the calendar is perfect for the older jaded fan and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah, and, uh, well, a week okay. and a bit. The, uh, the twenty second and the twenty third. Yeah, let's talk about let's let's go there before we go tonight, and then let's save the let's save the one piece to live action discussion for when Mo's around because he's seen the most of it uh, out of any of us. I think he's seen all of it to this point. Yeah. Oh well, probably the whole uh, first season. Um, it just uh, in terms of anime, Toronto. Just want to quickly say, Ken. Uh, I you know what I I respect him for putting for at least uh, saying something. So let's. But and you know, wait and see again. I okay. feel like with this con, yeah, it's there was gonna be some growing pains, and also it's their first year back since COVID nineteen. In many respects, happened. yeah, it's a real reset for them. Mm -hmm. So just like how it was, that was the case for Anime North as well. Well, yeah, and they had a they had some hiccups for their reset last year, but obviously they had and they had their almost twenty. Well, they had their twenty plus years of history behind them. Too, and that's something that, to be fair to Anime Toronto, doesn't have. I think and we could say okay, be perfect. Huh? That'd be perfect. So we'll see what happens. 
and uh you know stay tuned okay before we go tonight let's uh, let's uh, put out the key, the big event in the anime community calendar yes we just uh james just hinted it at it the uh, creator of planetess and vinland saga uh yukimura makoto will be appearing on the weekend of the 22nd and 23rd of september at two different events the first one at the japan foundation toronto and the other one on the Saturday, the 23rd, the Toronto International Festival of Authors. As of this taping, uh, the the Japan Foundation uh, event on the Friday is down to a rush line. Um, all the reservations have already been taken. But, you know, there's still, there's still a, as we mentioned, a, a standby line and uh, the event the next day at uh at tifa uh james kevin i know this is probably more on your radar than it would be on mine even though i do i have a ticket to this i know you two got yours what do you want to say oh yeah we interesting. did interesting like i i gotta say that the toronto international festival of authors obviously has been going on for a number of years so it's interesting that they've uh decide to expand in different directions and bring over someone from uh, East Asia and then from Japan and stuff like that. And uh, a manga author, right? Instead of maybe a regular author and stuff like that in their wheelhouse. But definitely um, Makoto uh, Yukimura, his two works are interesting and touch a lot of uh, different things and places with uh, Vinland Saga and the Viking Age and stuff like that. And with Planetis and looking at... Uh, the future in space realistically and stuff like that, so to speak, you know what I mean? So it'll be interesting to see how the two panels, what they discuss. I think it's going to be more on the Vinland Saga side. And it'll be interesting because this is probably, I think, his second time in North America, the first being two months ago in uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Because that was supposedly his first uh, appearance in North America, I think. That's correct, so yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe because he's in his final arc and stuff like that, Vinland Saga, and I won't say anything because, well, I guess I can't really, you can spoil it if you want, but basically they are, they're in Vinland Saga, which we know as uh, in Canada and stuff like that, East Coast Canada. I won't say where in East Coast Canada, but yes, I wonder if maybe he went there to do some research and stuff like that, because I know he does, probably does a lot of research because it's incredible, the breadth in his uh, stories for both Plantis and Vinland Saga. So we'll probably get a lot out of both panels, even if we're not able to get to the signings and stuff like that, because I know he has two signings on the Friday and the Saturday as well, but we'll see how that all pans out because the Friday one's a lottery and the Saturday one, we're just going to have to wait and see. Kevin? Yeah, I'm, you know, I feel somewhat vindicated that I didn't go to SDCC now that he's coming here. I'm more of a Planetas fan. Uh, I haven't read much of Vinland Saga, to be honest, but... Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see them all the same, and uh, you can usually count on the Japan Foundation to kind of be involved with this kind of stuff nowadays. And I believe I wouldn't be surprised if TCAF had some had some influence in this as well. I believe for the International um, Festival of Authors, uh, 
that one, the person monitoring uh, that one is actually the head of TCAF now, supposedly. Yeah. Is it Miles? Yeah, I believe it's Miles that is uh, mm -hmm. moderating it uh, with uh, Makoto uh, Yukimura and stuff like that. And then as we know, it's, I forget who it is, but another uh, fella that's moderating the Friday one at Japan Foundation. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay. The only thing that also uh, I take away is I know how much you've raved about both titles. I'm not quite as familiar with either of them. It took a long time to even like keep them in print and stuff like that because yeah. even Vinland Saga, they kept on begging us and saying, "Well, if you don't pre-order, then guess what? It's not going to be you." So it's like, "How did we get here?" Is no, the question James, in my mind still. James, Ben Applegate didn't didn't uh, beg us. He threatened us. To buy <laughs> he but only because Kodansha at the time had only committed to the first three or four omnibus volumes back in the day. Mm -hmm. which meant volume eight of the Japanese release. And and he explicitly said, if you guys don't buy this, we're not putting out any more. Yeah. And then they did well enough that the next Omnibus got announced. And again, Ben Applegate said, if this doesn't do well enough, this is all you're getting. And it just kept going. And, it, and eventually it still did fine enough that he would still then put them out or they still put them out and then the anime got licensed and got a release so it was fine it didn't matter anymore i guess it was a slow burn on the anime because the first season was on amazon prime and stuff like that with anime strike but then that went under and then when it finally i guess whatever license lapsed it went to netflix it went to sentai it went to crunchyroll and i think that really helped to get it out to the wider audience because in the thing for uh the International uh, Authors Festival, they mentioned it being on Netflix for Vinland Saga and stuff like that. So obviously playing to the larger audience that goes to that festival and stuff like that on the waterfront, because that one's um, at the Harborfront Center in Toronto. Well, if nothing else for me, um, maybe I'm curious to now take a watch. Anyway. So are you coming with us, Mike? To the Friday one? Yeah, I'll probably be there. I, I mean, I, I did as, get to as, I, as I told Mike, remember to be there uh, early, probably at the five thirty, because if it's already mm -hmm. full, I bet you people right, are going to want to get there so they can oh. get their seats. Uh, I'd say maybe five, actually. I'll try well, to keep I, it. I guess I guess we're going all for five then, because I will. Yeah. I was going to be early, but five sounds fine. We'll, to talk, me. we'll talk about it then. Anyway, actually, uh, thinking we had mentioned. Um, random house and stuff like that and it was a final thought that came to my mind and i see it now did you guys mention it? it's more for kevin too i was surprised penguin random house is coming back into manga and to pop culture comics you heard about end of january where it was inklore and one of their launch titles in early 24 for this inklore um, print imprint for uh, penguin random house is uh oh it was the 99 yamada 99 forget the there it is my love story with yamada kun at level 99 that's the one they're launching which is interesting and stuff like that so it looks like delray wasn't their last uh crack at the can so to speak so it'll be interesting to see what inklor does in the future with uh 
non-East Asian comics, but they seem to be uh, getting into that side too. And they're launching with uh, that title, which supposedly I guess has been doing big because I know Aniplex is doing a dub for it now on Crunchyroll. Hmm. Okay. That one, I think uh, Mangamo uh, was putting out digitally. So that's, I guess, a nice in for them to help get things out physically. One way to put it. So, but uh, yeah. Did you have any thoughts on that? Well, Kevin, I thought that was interesting that uh, they're back in the game with that, with Inklor for uh, Penguin Random House. Yeah, that was a pretty intriguing announcement. It's, uh, you know, not a bad first title to pick off. Or not a bad first title to start with. Well, then, okay. Uh, But we'll wait for 2024 to see how it goes along. But you never know. It might be like Square Enix uh, manga and they might go small, but uh, well, you're not the only one that that are like trying to expand a little bit because there's that one other publisher that they actually uh what did they do they're bringing back the speed grapher manga of all things mm. oh that was titan uh comics yeah it was titan comics and so they, they have titan manga and stuff like that but there have been questions of quality on that one mm-hmm. i know for translation so any of the tiles like the Speed Grapher one where they had previous Tokyo Pop translations or previous translations, they would use those. But then any new stuff, there have been question marks on the translations they've used because there's questions whether they've used machine translation or not, I know. Oh, boy. They're bringing we'll see what happens the... because they have some new ones too. But we'll see what happens in the coming year because I probably would check before I buy on those ones, I know. They're bringing back the Burst Angel manga, too. <laughs> yep. Yeah, this they list... were all licensed ones that had anime before they had a manga version, I know. Yeah. Well, as I said, the list... This is this could get interesting. Let's just say that much. Okay. I guess we, we've been on long enough. Somehow, somehow three of us uh, still stretched this out for almost two hours. <laughs> uh, but it's nice to get in the back in the saddle to do a regular episode again. Thanks, James. Nice to nice to have you back around the table again. No problem, and I'm sure next time once we get Mo, uh, I guess we'll be talking about One Piece because I know it's uh, become a cultural phom- phenomena in uh, the live action sense. I know since we yeah. talked briefly yeah. on that at the beginning. And of course, and so we'll forth. talk about, and of course, uh, hopefully, we'll be able to talk with Amy as well. Um, okay, there was one other thing, and I, and this is a semi serious note. Uh, I know one other thing that also caught our attention this week was the latest in the Johnny Network scandal. Um, Kevin and I, I know, wanted to talk about this more at length at some point. But uh, can you give me a little bit of patience? I did find finally find the uh, BBC documentary on that. Mm. I do want to watch that and then digest that because that, that story, I know you, you've kept up with more than I have, but it's just, it's, it's taken a, a lot of fascination about, uh, I've, taken a little bit more attention with it over the last since we, in light of the latest developments and maybe some of the commentaries that uh, recent commentaries by people like Roland Kelts on it too so um I want to watch that and let's space future chat that uh, maybe before the next regular episode okay okay sure and James uh you know if you're you're I know you'd have an opinion if you ever if you got got the time to watch so you're invited, of course. Everyone's invited, right? 
So uh, maybe something else to look forward to in the next little bit. But, uh, oh, and uh, yeah, well, then we'll talk a little bit more, maybe a little bit more on the other stuff later on. Maybe a, a few more Anime Toronto notes. For sure, we'll, when Mo come back, comes back around the table, as James mentioned, we're going to talk a little bit of live uh, one, one Piece live action. Kevin and I have at least seen the first episode. Pretty sure Mo has seen more than the first episode. And we got to talk about that, especially... You know, some of the uh, comparisons are going to be, and the things we'll talk about are kind of inevitable, and we want to talk about that. But uh, I think we've said enough for tonight. So uh, let's put out the contacts one more time. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com, at AnimeRoundtable, AnimeRoundtable.com, twitch.tv slash AnimeRoundtable. Yeah, we should mention it. And of course, the YouTube channel. Uh, but once again, first and foremost, we're just a podcast. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and the like. Oh, wait, did Stitcher go under? Yeah, it did. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You know, because good reviews will always help. What type of reviews, Kevin? Any reviews. Uh, Yeah, because it's better (laughs) than none. And, uh, of course, we'll... You know, we, we're halfway to our quota and we're not halfway through the, through the month of September yet. So hopefully we'll get something out before the end of the month. And maybe uh, we'll try and do things weekly or bi-weekly again. But in any event, give us a subscribe, like, or follow on any of the platforms we're on so you can be notified when we put on, uh, put on something new. Also, once again, if you have a Spotify account, please check, a, check out the Anime Roundtable playlist for a list of music based on the things we've mentioned here on this show today or in the past the theme site the theme song is entitled fubuki snowstorm by pico misaki you can check out more of her music at picoinfinity.com or on facebook at pico zen music you could have listened to any anime podcast in the world but you decide to listen to this one and we all appreciate it so thanks for listening good night from toronto and join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable.